Hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm glad you're listening in today. If this is your first time listening, I'd love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. We're in this series called Not My God, and we're looking at some of the things that get God twisted in scriptures that are misinterpreted. Some of these sayings might be silly, but when you set an expectation for God that God doesn't promise, it can lead to a disastrous disappointment that's dangerous for your faith. Judge not that ye be not judged. That's one that almost everybody's heard before, and a more modern translation might say, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Does that mean that nobody should ever tell you what to do? What about parents? What about teachers or bosses? And how are Christians supposed to interact with other Christians? Let's hear from our senior minister today, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. John mentioned that uh, we're running, we may run on low on those funnel fries, so I'm pretty sure that if you go to the front and they don't have any, that John will deliver them to you personally this afternoon. Um, I haven't talked to him about that yet, but I know he'd be wanting to do that. Uh, also, remember, back of the room, it says prayer room back there. One of our elders is back in that prayer room praying for you guys right now. And if at any point during the service that you just want to pray with somebody or feel like uh, you got something that you want to talk to someone about, just make your way to the back of the room and, and chat with him. So what do you guys think of our uh, series theme, hashtag not my God? We try, to, we try to work on our series sometimes months in advance, and Tater is our communications guy, and he starts working on the visuals, you know, kind of the logo for the series and the slide backgrounds and Sometimes I toss him an idea or two, and sometimes Steve does, but this was Tater's idea. Now, it's not his fault. It's his idea. It's my fault because I told him I thought it was funny, and I told him to run with it. And it's been kind of fun hearing the reactions. We've got a lot of reactions on it. Some of the people are like, why are you guys pushing Donald Trump? And others are kind of like, why are you guys dogging on Donald Trump, right? We've got it from both sides. It's kind of funny. We meant neither. We meant neither. We just thought it'd be fun to take a symbol that kind of makes everybody turn their head and use it for our own purposes. We're not making a political statement either way, so quit judging us. (laughs) Quit judging us. You're going to see why (laughs) in just a moment. Here's the verse we're going to tackle today. You ready? Matthew 7, 1. Jesus says, do not judge, right? Do not judge or you too will be judged. I bet you've heard that a thousand times. Maybe you've used it a thousand times. When someone's picking on us, that's kind of where our mind goes, right? Do not judge. Jesus says, don't judge. Don't judge me. What's more is that this may be one of the best known verses in the whole Bible for those who are not Jesus followers. They love to pull it out and fire it back at us, usually in the King James, always with attitude. Judge not that you be not judged. Didn't Jesus say something like that? And they don't believe the Bible, but they believe this verse. Usually they mean something like this. It's my life and I'll do what I want. You can't tell me how to live. You're not supposed to judge me, are you? And they believe, based on that verse, that we Jesus followers ought to tolerate any idea, any behavior, because we're not supposed to judge, right? And I can understand why people drift to this verse, because... I've been judged. Have you been judged? Hurts, doesn't it? Especially when you're judged cruelly or unfairly. I mean, all of us have felt the pain 
of being judged. When I was a prof at the college, a lot of people thought I was dangerous as a professor, so the college fired me. That hurt a lot. So I went from the frying pan into the fire by coming here to Capital City, right? You guys haven't fired me yet, but I figure that some of you guys are going to start the judging right after the service when you sit down for lunch. I think it was a six. No, no, it was more like a four. It certainly wasn't one of his best. How about you guys? You ever been wounded by someone judging you? Maybe someone looked at you and called you fat, or stupid, or ugly, or mean. And the truth is, sometimes we'll, we'll remember those words for years. It still hurts. Maybe there was someone who valued you, you thought, and they shunned you, or gossiped about you. Maybe they even posted something about you on the social media. Maybe it was a parent or a teacher or a coach or someone that you thought was a friend and instead of encouragement, they they judged you and it hurt. I mean, even if there's a seed of truth in the judgment, it still hurts, especially when it's broadcast. But even worse, when it's not true or when someone judges you unfairly, that hurts. Now, did you know that the judgmentalism of so many Jesus followers may be the number one reason so many people have pushed the church away. And sometimes they push God away. I mean, some of you guys may have been pushed out of a church at some point because you felt judged. We're glad you're back. Way too many people never come back. And did you know that the perception that we Jesus followers are judgmental, narrow-minded, bigoted hypocrites is probably the number one reason that so many people never do try out a church, which means that usually, or often anyway, they never come face to face with our Jesus. And that ought to rip your heart out. does mine, because I'm telling you guys, those who are pushing us away are our kids and our grandkids, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, who desperately need Jesus at the center of their life. Sometimes, too often, we either judge them away from Jesus or they think we do. So we need to settle in here for a bit. We need to figure out exactly what Jesus means when he says, don't judge. And we need to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. Are we living out what Jesus tells us to do? So here it goes. I'm going to start here. This ought to be annoying a little bit. When Jesus says, don't judge, he doesn't mean don't ever judge at all. It's not what he means. Just kind of kidding, but I'm pretty serious. He didn't mean no judgments of any kind ever. If you stop to think a little, I don't think anybody would say that what Jesus meant is that No one can judge absolutely, not judge, absolutely literally in any context. I mean, no teacher could ever grade a test. Don't judge. No employer could ever correct an employee or do an annual review. Not supposed to judge. Cop couldn't give you a ticket. Try that out next time you get pulled over by a cop. Tell them my preacher said you're not supposed to judge. Right? See how that works for you. No judge could ever hold a criminal accountable. You can't judge me, judge, right? And seriously, if Jesus meant it literally, no parent could ever parent a kid. I mean, what would you do if you were trying to scold your kid and your kid pushed back saying, you can't judge me, you're supposed to be a Christian. 
That happened to Julie and me when my kids were little. I used to have three kids. I now have two. I mean, if Jesus meant it literally, no Jesus follower could ever hold another Jesus follower accountable. And he tells us to. In fact, it would be impossible to preach either truth or grace. Think about it. How about this one? And someone's going to tell you that nearly any kind of sex is okay as long as it's consensual. What if it's sex between an adult and a 10-year-old? You ready to judge? How about if the 10-year-old's your kid? You're ready to judge? It is impossible to live this out absolutely and literally. It would be absurd to try to live this out absolutely and literally, and Jesus didn't mean for us to understand it absolutely and literally. I'll show you. I want to look at a couple of the principles of interpretation, rules of interpretation. How do you interpret the Bible wisely? How do you understand what Jesus was trying to say wisely, and how do you apply it to your life every day? So let's start at the source. If you've got a Bible with you, find Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or your notebook, I would suggest the U version. It's a great thing. It's free. You can go to your app store. You can download it on your phone. You'll always have your Bible with you, right? If you have one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles, I think it's still there, Matthew 7, right? And we even leave the lights on a little bit in the corners if you want to sit back there where you can read your Bible. It's going to be on screens as well. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. I, I, I like the way it words it oftentimes. And let me just suggest, this is, these are the words of Jesus. Let's stand out of respect for what he said to us, okay? And here's what Jesus says. Do not judge others. There it is. Do not judge others, and you won't be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. You can go ahead and be seated. Now, there are several of what we call rules of interpretation. These rules aren't in the Bible or something. They're just, they make sense and they help us to understand the Bible wisely, <clears throat> help us to understand what it means and how to apply it. One of them is the rule of context. We're not supposed to rip a verse out of its context. Another rule is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Now, what else does Jesus say about judging? What else do the apostles say about judging? That's supposed to inform us what Jesus meant here. What matters, what, what, what Jesus and the apostles say about judging matters way more than what your prof thinks or your friend thinks or some jerk on the internet. One last rule. You don't get it until you do it. Jesus' words aren't meant to be understood intellectually. They're meant to be lived out, right? First, context. Let's look at the context. Now, did you know that when Matthew wrote what we call the Gospel of Matthew, he didn't put in chapters and verses, right? That didn't come till way later. The chapter numbers that you find in your Bible weren't put in there until the 13th century. That's over 1,200 years after Jesus spoke these words. 
the verse numbers weren't put in there until the 16th century, over 1,500 years after Jesus said these words. You know, we look it up and we see chapter 7, verse 1. And oftentimes, because it's the beginning of a chapter, verse 1, we kind of ignore what went before. But that 7 and 1 weren't there when it was written. And sometimes the context, what went before, is critically important. See, Jesus has been talking in what we call chapter 6 about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He says when you give your alms, when you give money in the offering box, generous bucket, he says don't make a show of it like a hypocrite might do. When you pray, don't try to get all showy and flowery like a hypocrite might do. You see, when we're trying to be religious to impress people, we're not impressing God. He says when you fast, don't go around trying to look all solemn like the hypocrites do. And then he takes a little sidebar on money and anxiety, and then he gets back to hypocrisy here in chapter 7, because hypocrisy is a big, big deal to God. And he starts out with this, don't judge, don't judge, and you won't be judged, which, by the way, is what we call wisdom. It's what we call wisdom. It's a general rule. It's smart practice. It is not a guarantee. It is not a promise. The way wisdom works is live this out, and your life's likely going to be better. But it's not a rule. Just because you don't judge doesn't mean that there aren't going to be judgmental jerks around you who are still going to judge you back, right? You might still get judged, even if you try to live this out. But negativism breeds negativism. And if you do a lot of judging, you're probably going to find a lot of people judging you back. It's wisdom. Jesus keeps going. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you're going to be judged. And the same measure that you use, it's going to be measured to you. Again, that's wisdom. It's a general rule. Not a promise, not a guarantee. It's just wise. If you're decent and fair to others, it's more likely that they're going to be decent and fair to you. You can live decently and fairly and still have someone cheat you, right? You've probably seen that happen. But wisdom says if you treat people decently, you treat them fairly, they're more likely to treat you decently and fairly back. The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you're going to be judged. That's a general truth, not an absolute truth. It's wisdom. And then Jesus lasers in on hypocrisy, verses 3 and 4. Why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own? And by the way, when Jesus said that, he expected them to chuckle and smile. It's a silly image. It's cute. He says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the log in your own eye? And that's not that hard to understand. You've seen it. You've done it. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more fun to fixate on your problems than to admit my own, Right? It's a whole lot easier to look at your issues and your sins than to deal with my own. And we tend to be pretty ruthless when looking at your sins and quite gifted at rationalizing our own. John sent me a meme this last week. I thought it was pretty good. It kind of gets it right. He says, we're tremendous lawyers for our own mistakes. We can make a case for why we did what we did, but we're great judges for the mistakes of others. Hypocrite, Jesus says, verse 5, 
First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, you're going to be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus says you can judge, just don't do it hypocritically. You've got to start by being ruthlessly honest with yourself because maybe your own issues are being blinded when you focus on theirs. Maybe you need to look at a mirror first before you try to appoint yourself God. Now, do you think if we actually tried living this out that it would change things? Now, unfortunately, if you're reading it in an English Bible, you come to the end of a paragraph. Those paragraph markers weren't there in the original either. They just kept on going, right? So sometimes we don't read what comes next, and sometimes what comes next casts light on what comes before. That's part of the context. Here's what Jesus says next in verse 6. Jesus says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. And using an image that worked back then better than it does in our day, don't throw your pearls to pigs because they'll trample the pearls and they'll turn and attack you. Let me ask you a question. How can you determine that they're unholy unless you start with a judgment? How can you determine that someone's acting like a pig unless you're making some kind of a judgment? Skip down to verse 15. Watch out for false prophets, he says. Watch out for them, because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. How do you know they're false prophets to watch out for without making a judgment? In the context, Jesus is not forbidding all judgments. He's forbidding a type of judgment, a hypocritical one. A couple of big ideas before we go on. Big idea number one, you're going to have to make some judgments. You're going to have the responsibility to do life with what you might call discernment. But be honest. Be ruthlessly honest with yourself first. Jesus is warning about the hypocrisy that we have when we judge so often. Because we have this propensity, this inclination, this tendency to pick at others without looking at ourselves first. I'm great at finding your weaknesses, your faults, your sins, while excusing my own. Jesus says, don't do that. Big idea number two. If you start getting all judgmental, they're probably going to be all judgmental on you, right? The way you treat others will affect the way that they treat you. It's not a guarantee that they're going to treat you well. It's just wise. Okay, that's the context. That's judge not in its context. Let's dig around and see what else Jesus said about judging. The apostles, what they said about judging. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Another one of those rules. I'm just going to scratch the surface. There's a lot of different places we're going to go. I'm just going to dip down into three very quickly. Here's John 7:24. This is again from Jesus. Stop judging by mere appearances. Instead, judge correctly. Don't judge by mere appearances. That's superficial. Make sure you're looking deeper than that. See, when he says judge not, he doesn't mean you're never going to have to judge anyone or anything at any time. He says don't do it hypocritically and don't do it superficially. Because all of us, I know that I have and I'll bet you have, we make snap judgments. Have you ever made a snap judgment that was dead wrong? I've done it a lot of times. We call them first impressions. Sometimes we make a first impression it was dead wrong. How about these? You old guys. You old guys remember Jim Neighbors? Gomer Pyle? You remember listening to him talk? 
How about the first time you heard him sing? Surprise you, right? Because the voice that came out when he sung just didn't match the face and his, and his language. For you guys who are a little bit younger, do you remember Susan Boyle, Britain's Got Talent? Who would have guessed that she could sing like that? Because we make a first impression, and the first impression is really wrong, right? For you guys who are really young, how about Kevin Schwartz? America's Got Talent right now. Looks like a dork, right? Talks like a dork, acts like a dork, and he's really, really funny. He's good. We judge by appearances a lot, and we blow it a lot. One of my favorites in my own life was a guy named Vic Kales. Vic, you probably don't know him. He's a minister up in Wauseon, Ohio. I won't forget the first time that he walked into my room, first time I saw Vic, right? I judged him. I was beginning a Romans class, and he wandered into class and made his way to the back row and with great difficulty sat down in a desk. Great difficulty because he was six foot seven and 400 pounds, right? And he was red-faced and he was sweating profusely, panting for breath. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it out loud, right? But he might have been able to see it in my eyes. I thought, holy cow, that's a winner. That was sarcasm, by the way. Turns out he'd been an offensive lineman for Bowling Green. He had been scouted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe. Could still dunk a basketball, right, at 400 pounds. One of the sharpest students I ever taught, and he's an amazing pastor. I've done that several times. We make snap judgments based on so little. Sometimes they're hurtful. Sometimes they're ruthless. We don't give the benefit of the doubt. Here's the problem. Sometimes they see it in our eyes. Sometimes they hear it on our voices. He has all these tats. She has all these piercings everywhere. What are they doing here at Cap City? He's driving such a flashy car. must be a jerk full of himself. You've already judged him. You've never met him. She's so pretty and all made up. Must be self-centered and rude. Maybe she is, but you're the twit. He smells. She looks like she shops at Goodwill. And they see it in our eyes, and they hear it in our voices, and we drive them away from us, and sometimes we drive them away from God. Make all these snap judgments about people here in this room. And Jesus says, stop it. Knock it off. And if we knew that not just here, but tried living it out. I mean, Cap City is a pretty gracious place, pretty welcoming place. Could we still make it even more so? Stop judging by appearances, Jesus says. Instead, judge correctly. That's not a truth to know intellectually. It's a God-honoring way to live. Jesus says don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge superficially. The next one's from the Apostle Paul. And this one's going to sound weird to you. You've got to think about this one for a moment. Paul says don't judge people equally. Don't judge people equally, which is weird, Right? Some people we're going to hold to a higher standard and others we're just going to love on them. This is another one of those truths that can change a church if we could get it right. 1 Corinthians, one of the letters Paul wrote, chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. And here's what he says. It is not my responsibility to judge outsiders, to judge those outside the church, those who are not Jesus followers. That's not my job. That's not your job. 
It is our job, our responsibility, to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Paul says God's going to judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you hold each other accountable. We don't hold outsiders and insiders to the same standard. We don't judge equally. Now, you can get the idea, even if you're a parent, especially if you're a parent, because you probably set some rules for your kids, and it's your job as a parent to hold your kids accountable to your rules, right? But we parents tend to be real much harder on our own kids than on the neighbor kids, I hope. I mean, my kids, we had house rules. They weren't supposed to smoke, drink, cuss. Doesn't mean they didn't, but those were the house rules, and we tried to hold them accountable. That's what parents do. I mean, there are things that we do do because we're Pattisons and we're Jesus followers. There are things we don't do because we're Pattisons and we're Jesus followers. But I didn't try holding all their friends the same standards. That was the job of their parents, right? So how does that apply here? Listen, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower yet, then I know that some of the stuff that we say is going to sound quaint and weird. It's all right. Some of the standards we try to live by are going to sound kind of impractical and unrealistic. Okay? If you're not a Jesus follower yet, you may be addicted to something. You might be doing some weird stuff that you fear God might not approve of. You might be smoking stuff that smells a little funny. You might have an out-of-control temper. You might kind of be thinking you don't believe any of this stuff at all. Tell you the truth, some of us who are Jesus followers struggle with that stuff too. But we're convinced that it would be better to try to do life with God, for God, God's way. So with his help, we want to try. But we are glad you're here. For those of us who are Jesus followers, we need to think about Paul's words very carefully. Our mission here at Cap City is not to change the behavior of those who are outside the family of God. Did you hear that? Our mission is to love them and invite them in, to bring them face-to-face with the God who can and will transform them into what he meant for them to be. Those who are not Jesus followers yet do not have to clean up their act to be welcome here at Capital City. Our job is to invite them to be one of us so God can change them, God can change them into what he means for them to be. Big idea number one, don't judge hypocritically. Big idea number two, don't judge superficially. Big idea number three, don't judge equally. And number four, when you do judge, make sure that you're gentle and humble. You'd better be gentle and humble. He calls on us to hold each other accountable. You know why? Because there's so much at stake. And to see a kid, to see a friend, To see a family member drift from God is too awful. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in one of his letters. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, we're going to come back to this, is overcome by some sin. You who are godly, Jesus followers, should gently and humbly, gently and humbly, you got to get those two words, gently and humbly, help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself because it's going to be easy. And then he closes with this. It is so amazing. Share each other's burdens. You carry their load. 
And in this way, you're going to obey the law of Christ. So if anyone's caught in a sin, that requires a judgment, doesn't it? I have to determine that your actions violate God's standards. We can recognize that. What he's not calling us to do is to be sin police. A lot of Christians love being sin police. I'm watching you. It means if a brother or sister gets ensnared by, caught up in, entrapped by some sin, we're supposed to help them. This isn't giving us permission to yank a chain anytime we hear a Jesus follower sin. I heard her cuss. I'm going to correct her. I heard him lose his temper. I'm going to chew him out. I saw her post something rude online. I'm going to call her out. This isn't about being sin cops. This is about noticing if a brother or sister is on a path that's pulling them away from God and instead of leaning away or talking about them, leaning in. We can call sin, sin. We have to. And we can hold a brother or sister accountable. We have to when we see that a sin is dragging them away from a God because the stakes are way too high. But the how is what's so critical. You don't kick them when they're down. You don't kick them out. You don't gossip about them. You certainly don't post stuff online about them. You don't harangue them. Paul says gently and humbly. Gently and humble. Humbly, if you can't be gentle, don't do it. If you're not humble, you're not the one to do it. Every one of us, guys, every one of us is a beggar trying to help other beggars find bread. We are forgiven sinners hoping that someone else can feel the amazing power of God's grace. And I absolutely love how Paul wraps it up. He says, share each other's burdens. Share each other's burdens. You carry their load. And in that way, you're going to obey the law of Christ. So, what happens if we blow this stuff off? What happens if we just stay judgmental and mean? If we make mocking and posting and shunning sports? Stakes are too high, guys. What happens if we're hypocritical when we judge? Two things. They won't listen to us, and sometimes it means they won't listen to Jesus. And you look around, and sometimes it breaks my heart, you know, that I might have said something judgmentally or done something, and it's prevented somebody from filling one of the chairs in this room. How about you? God is gracious, but it ought to break our hearts. What happens when we judge superficially? You hurt people, sometimes badly. And you know that because some of you guys carry the scars. We hurt people and it's possible that because they know we're Jesus followers, we drive them farther away from our God. How awful is that? Don't like their clothes, their tats, their piercings, whatever. And they see it in our eyes and they hear it in our voices. And they don't feel welcome in God's house. God's house. This is where they belong, guys. I'm grateful that God is tolerant with our foolishness. But it should break our heart when those that he loves are wounded. And what happens when we try to judge those who are not Jesus followers by the standards that God sets for us, Jesus followers? Let me say it again, guys. Our job is not to force non-Christians to act Christian. 
Our job's to love them and to bring them face to face with Jesus and let God do the morphing. He does his job well. Bottom line, listen, guys, this is it in a nutshell. Don't play God. Don't play God. Don't play God. We're not good at it. He is. It's not our job to lower God's standards to make them more culturally palatable. It's not our job to raise God's standards to make them more personally palatable. We let God be God. And we focus on God's truth and God's grace. Actually, grace first, I think. Because without grace, they won't hear God's truth. Truth without grace will drive people away from God. But grace without truth won't transform. It won't heal. It won't point them towards God. Grace and truth. Let that define us. Let's pray together. Father, these are hard things for us because we all slip into these bad habits of judging each other hypocritically and superficially. We lay standards on people that when we ought to be gracious. Father, we want to be children who lead people to God. We want to be a church that leads people to God. Help us to have your heart. Help us to see people with your eyes and to touch them with your hands. Just to be a place of healing. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.